morning, everybody. Um, Our reading this morning is taken from Zechariah chapter 1, and we'll be reading the whole chapter, verses 1 to 21. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. During the night I had a vision, and there before me was a man mounted on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. I asked, What are these, my Lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, They are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, We have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, And I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. My times will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Then I looked up, and there before me were four horns. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these? He answered me, These are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. I asked, What are these coming to do? He answered, These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise their head. 
but the craftsmen have come to terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. So ends the reading of God's word. Good morning again. Uh, it's so good to be with God's people. I, I think sometimes we used to take that for granted, isn't it? Up until COVID happened. It's really wonderful that we can get together and worship together and hear from God's word together. I know it's even more wonderful for preachers because when you preach in that screen, you are not sure whether people are making coffee or not. At least this way, I can always check whether you are falling asleep or not while I preach. Uh, but again, I just want to extend a word of thanks to St. Barnabas' leadership for inviting me this morning to share God's word with you. Uh, St. Barnabas is a church that we hold dear as a college where many of our students have come here and made this church their home. And at times we always ask them, how come you, all of you guys are going to St. Barnabas? But I can see it's really wonderful to be here and to fellowship with you. Uh, I don't know if you have ever heard of someone on Book of Zechariah. Uh, I must be honest, the first time uh, in 2017, I was in Australia uh, doing some studies, and then I was told, Vuyani, you are going to preach. And then I'm like, okay. Uh, this on its own is quite scary. It's a different country I'm going to preach in, and I have quite a thick, uh, coarser accent. First of all, are these people even going to hear me? Because you know how the Aussies sound like, Right. Uh, so I was first of all worried that are they able to hear my accent? But then the second thing I was told was I was going to teach on Zechariah on the flying scroll. And I was thinking, I've never heard the sermon on Zechariah. And then I thought, well, I'm a student of Bible college student. I'll do what all Bible college students do. And that is to rush to the library and look at some books. I get there. All Jeremiah is quite a big selection. Zechariah, there are two books. And some of them read like they were written in the King James Version. And I'm thinking, this is not helpful at all. How am I going to even preach? And then the worst part, like, okay, there's another trick up my sleeve, right? What all Bible college students do, you go to Gospel College in website and say, I'll listen to some great sermons. Zechariah, there were two. And then, okay, flying stalls, none. Then I really felt stuck, like, okay, what am I going to do? But it was actually a wonderful experience because I could rely on the Lord and study his word and hear him speak to me. And I'm really grateful to the Lord because I think since that day, I began to love the book of Zechariah. And I saw the importance of this book. And I hope that this morning, you will also come to the point where you see how important this book is for our faith. And then hopefully Pastor Simon will start preaching from it much more regularly afterwards, especially in the flying stalls as well. But uh, please join me as we ask the Lord to help us as we look at his word this morning. Lord, we want to give you thanks that you are God who speaks to us through your word. Father, please help me to explain your word faithfully and clearly this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll help us not to be simply those who listen to your word and forget what it says, 
but Lord, will be the people who actually put into practice. Lord Jesus, we ask all of this in your name. Amen. So why study the book of Zechariah? I mean, this is a simple question, right? Why read the book of Zechariah? Well, I'll first give you the easy answer. Well, it's because the book is about Jesus. And all, I mean, you know that, that, that sermon illustration that Bible College, a student being asked, you know, and they're like, you know, the, the lecture it tells them all this story in the Bible. And they're like, you know, it sounds like a square. But since I'm in a biblical theology class, I have to say it's about Jesus. So why study the book of Zechariah? First of all, it's about Jesus. Well, uh, the reason for this is that the Bible tells us that Jesus, all of the Old Testament, is about Jesus. According to Luke chapter 24, verse 25 to 27. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus. And this morning, I hope you will see especially the book of Zechariah. The other thing you have noticed that Jesus in John's gospel rebukes the Pharisees and says the following them in John chapter 5, verse 39 to 40. You study scriptures diligently because you think that in them you will have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to have life. So you see, Jesus sees the Old Testament and says, the Old Testament testifies about him. You want to truly understand who Jesus is, you actually go to the Old Testament. It's, this is where we get to appreciate what Jesus has come to do. Jesus says these very scriptures, that is the Old Testament, Testify about him. Jesus' indictment against the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is that they diligently study the Old Testament, yet they refuse or fail to come to have faith in him. And my prayer this morning is that as we study the book of Zechariah, we'll actually to come and have life and faith in Jesus even more. This is something that I think as God's people, especially when you are part of the church, such as St. Barnabas Bible Church, that we need to guard against. Where we actually diligently study scriptures and yet fail to come to Jesus. Where we seek the Bible as just a knowledge in itself that doesn't help us to actually come to get to know Jesus better. And that's what the Pharisees were failing to do, isn't it? They knew the laws. They could quote it. But yet when the king of glory was standing in front of them, they could not recognize him. So as we study the book of Zechariah, I hope, first of all, that our picture of Jesus will be magnified and that we'll get to know him. Of course, this does not mean that every verse in the Old Testament says something about Jesus. So that to the point where you look at the stone David casted, you have to try and find some meaning about Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the story builds up to this one grand climax, and that is Jesus. 2 Timothy 3 verse 15 tells us that the Holy Scriptures makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. And the scripture again Jesus is, uh, Paul is referring to is the Old Testament. So this is why we have to study even about the flying scrolls. Because ultimately, 
they are about Jesus. So, by the way, I thought uh, White, when first approached me, said it was going to be for two weeks. So, I thought I was going to do the visions, but White was so gracious to me, said, no, Simon will take care of the visions. So, this morning, I'll only stay on the first six verses. This is a nice thing you do as a visiting preacher. You can just put all the work to the pastor. You do the, small, the easy part. So, this morning, I'll just look at the first six verses, and then Simon can pick up on another time. The one even about the horses and the four horns that you saw in that text. Now, but the part that I want us to see why the book of Zechariah is about more, I'm going to make a bold claim, right? And scholars like to make these bold claims. I don't think the events around Jesus' death will have made sense without the book of Zechariah. I hope that's the one thing you'll see this morning, that the, death around, the events around Jesus' death without the book of Zechariah they will not make any sense. Scholars say that there are 11 direct quotes from, from Zechariah and more than 60 allusions to the book of, of Zechariah in the New Testament. The book of Zechariah is part of the 12-7 Old Testament books that are mostly quoted in the New Testament. But it's not as big as Isaiah. It's not as big as Jeremiah. It's one of the shortest books. But it made it to the top seven. But yet the indictment maybe to the church is the fact that we don't hear someone's on it. I mean, it's a top seven most quoted book, but we hardly ever preach it. Let me give you four examples why I make a bold claim that without the book of Zechariah, the events around Jesus will not make sense. Both Matthew chapter 21 verse 5 and John chapter 12 verse 15, they speak about Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem where the expected king is going to come and see his city. Get where both Matthew and John get the picture from. Where they say, the king coming in a donkey. I mean, for many people during Jesus' time, this would not have made sense. Jesus, why don't you have a white horse, for example, in riding into Jerusalem where you show power and prestige? Why a donkey? Well, both Matthew 21 verse 5 and John 12 verse 15 actually quotes verbatim Zechariah 9 verse 9. Let me read it for us. Rejoice greatly, daughter, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a cot, the foal of a donkey. Do, do you see that Jesus, I mean, this is God many years before the events happened. And they said, how is my king going to come to Jerusalem? I'm going to lay out, it's almost people who are about married or just got married, you know the wedding plans? where every detail is planned out, the car you are going to drive in. God says, actually, when my king comes to Jerusalem to bring about deliverance, let's get a means of transportation. It's going to be a donkey. And then he said that to Zechariah. So when Jesus comes to Jerusalem in a donkey, the Pharisees should have seen that this is a king that was promised by God. But they failed to see that because they simply just diligently studied the scriptures, but yet we failed to recognize the king 
in front of them. So that's the first, for example, just Zechariah alone shows us the events around Jesus' death. Now Jesus' betrayal by Judas, that we read about in Matthew 27, verse 9, for 30 pieces of silver. Now that's another interesting detail. Where do you get that idea, Judas? Actually, you are fulfilling scriptures. Zechariah 11, 13 foretold that. Mark 14, verse 27, Peter predicts Peter, Jesus predicts Peter's denial, and Jesus there uses the image of the shepherd being struck and the sheep actually going all over the shore. Guess where did Jesus get that? Even about his own denial. Zechariah 13, verse 7. Okay, last one, then we look at uh, the book of Zechariah straight. Uh, John 19, verse 37, being pierced on the side and looked upon by the soldiers. Again, I mean, that kind of a detail is very vivid. Being looked upon, being pierced on the side. Where with that you find that is in Zechariah, Zechariah 12, verse 10. In fact, we read in Zechariah 10 to 14 that the whole passage seems to predict the crucifixion of Jesus and the mourning that followed it, where there will be mourning and the land itself will mourn. And then we know that as Jesus hung on the cross, what happens? God switches off the lights. The land is in mourning. Where did you get that idea? Well, if you have read what Jesus said about the Old Testament, especially the book of Zechariah, this should have made everyone to say, this is our king instead of mocking him. This is the one that God said was going to come. And the shocking thing, when you read the gospel, only the centurion saw that when Jesus died, that surely that this is the son of God. But those who studied scriptures missed it. Because maybe even for the rabbis, the book of Zechariah was not the easiest one to preach on. So maybe they tended to glimpse over it. So that's why we read the book of Zechariah. We read it first and foremost because it's about Jesus. The second reason why we have to study the book of Zechariah is because it's relevant for us today. Especially, I think, after COVID. You see, Zechariah is relevant for us today because of the time of history that it was written into. The book of Zechariah was addressed to those who lived in the period where the scholars marked it as a now, but not yet. In the book of Jeremiah, I think you guys have done book of Jeremiah in building up to this series. Sorry, Simon, this is putting you under pressure now, right? Uh, so in the book of Jeremiah, we, we should look at White. White is an Old Testament scholar, right? So in the book of Jeremiah, God had warned his people that if they do not repent of their sins, he will punish them and cause the nations to rule over them and that their sins will lead to an exile where they will be kicked out of the land. God told them that his judgment will last for 70 years. You know, it's always nice for me when God binds himself to years, right? My judgment is going to last for 70 years. Then I'm like, really, God, are you sure? So now the book of Zechariah, in terms of the time in history, is actually the time for God is almost running out. God, the 70 years is almost over. 
is, are we going to get those blessings and the fulfillment of them as you promised in Jeremiah? So the book of Zechariah in many ways puts God under pressure. Like God, you said to Jeremiah, 70 years, your judgment will last. Are you going to deliver in that time? Uh, he said after you will have mercy on them after 70 years, meaning the exile will come to an end. You read about those events in Jeremiah 25 all the way to 27. So when you have time this evening, please uh, get home, make yourself some nice cup of coffee or hot chocolate. I saw you guys have nice hot chocolate. And just read Jeremiah, those verses. The people of course, remember God came to Jeremiah, said, warning, repent of your sins or the exile will happen. But guess what? Like the Pharisees, it's not a new thing not to listen to God's word, right? Even the people of Jeremiah thought, nah, what? who cares? We'll just continue doing what we are doing. And then of God, of course God, as a result, in 586 BC, for those of you who are historians, I know for many of us engineers and accountants, they tend not to forget to look at history. But for the historians among us, please write down these dates. They are very important. I'm going to give you three dates this morning. So in 586 BC, uh, God did what he had promised to do. And that was the exile, right? You guys don't listen, and then I'm going to send an exile if you keep on rebelling against me. God used Babylon to punish his people. Babylon conquered Israel and destroyed the city walls and the temple, and Israel is left without a king. God withdrew his presence from his people and the people were taken into exile for almost, remember the years we are going to have, for almost 70 years. They're in exile, they're in a foreign land, in a foreign country. But God has promised through the prophets, such as Jeremiah 25, verse 11, that the exile will only last for 70 years. He promised that at the end of 70 years, he will have mercy on his people, and that he will restore them back to the land. Now, for those who are counting, remember the first date? 586, okay. And then now 539 B.C. Remember how you count B.C.? You almost sort of count backwards, right? Okay, so now 539 B.C., Cyrus the Great, king of Persia, conquers Babylon. Because one of the wonderful things God likes to do is to take all these great kings who think they are in charge and show them you are actually tools in my hand to bring about what I will and purpose. So Paul says, listen, 70 years is almost up. Well, what am I going to do? Babylon thinks they are full of it. They think they are in charge. God said, no, Babylon is actually not in charge. I'm in charge. And I'm going to show you this thing by raising a king of Persia to conquer you. To you. And within two years, of, uh, within two years uh, of, of course, Cyrus the Great passed an edict that allowed God's people to return to God's land. Isn't that wonderful? The events of history being guided by God to make sure his word comes into fruition. So Cyrus the Great, some crazy ideas he has, some I think, is to say to people, listen, all of you Israel, go back to the land. And by the way, what did Babylon take from your temple? Go to the store treasures, take it all, and go and rebuild the temple of the Lord. I mean, that's how wonderful God works, isn't it? 
Of course, he gives them the artifacts and the treasures that were taken. So this is plus minus 49 years after the exile. Okay, God, you are starting to turn, right? You are, rep- you are starting to turn towards us. You are starting to deliver us. But God, remember, Isaiah promises were more than just returning there. There were more to it in Jeremiah, the promises. We want peace to reign, right? And then we still have time. God is 50, 20 years. We are still giving you to fulfill what you promised. This is like 1994 moment in the time of Israel. You know, as the South Africans, in 1994, we are celebrating. Freedom is here, but not quite here. Does that make sense? You still have to do a lot of reform in order to have peace and equality for everyone. And I think with Jacob Zuma, we kind of said, yeah, that's not happening anytime soon. Uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. But there's a sense that you are in this anticipation of Uhuru, that there will be indeed freedom. The book of Zechariah was written to people who lived after the exile. In this period where they are starting to see God's promises being realized, but yet not fully realized. In fact, the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verse 6, why too deep preach on Haggai? Did you? Okay, sorry. Like, uh, yeah, sorry, Simon and White. Okay, so Haggai, chapter 1, describes the sorry state of the people that Zechariah wrote to. And it's more like us, many of us today, we feel this way. Look at how Haggai described their conditions. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but, you are never, you, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but not warm. You earn wages only to put them in purses with holes. I mean, doesn't that sound like a bank account? Salary getting in, immediately the bankers come and take it all up. And then like, I, I, I had my salary this morning. It's 8 o'clock, it's gone, right? So there's a sense of these people are, yes, we, we are in the land, but not all is well. We don't see the prosperity God promised. You, you know, you're planting, you're laboring, but not all is good. Isn't that how we feel as South Africans right now? You build your business. You thought you were going to have this great bounty harvest at the end. COVID comes only to take it away. I mean, isn't that what our life at times feel like? I mean, the eating part, of course, hopefully, that we are not, uh, you know, we, we still keep within limits. But there is a sense, isn't it, when you experience poverty and hunger, where you really eat and you are still hungry, where your stomach feels just bloated. And many of us in the African continent, we know how that feels like. And the temptation sometimes is to ask God in those times, does God care? Does God keep his promises? Is God going to do anything about my circumstances? Well, God is going to tell you in the book of Zechariah, of course I care. Of course I have a plan. Of course I'm going to take care of you. And therefore, this is why we are studying the book of Zechariah. It's because it describes the people who live just like us, the in-between period, where we see God in one part, fulfilling his promises, 
but not all of them are there. I mean, that's the many period that many of us Christians live into. When Jesus came, we know that it was the beginning of an end. We knew that he's coming to deliver his people. But yet we are waiting for that time, isn't it? When there will be no tear, no sorrow. Where we will not need preachers. You know, wouldn't that be nice? Where we'll know God's word for our own, in our own hearts. But we live now in this period where we still feel the pain. In fact, for the book, people of Zechariah, they are back in the land. But notice what happens in verse 1. They still not yet freedom. God's promises are fulfilling that they are back in the land. But notice, in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. The calendar is not marked using the name of Israelite king. They are still in many ways oppressed people. Their calendar is marked by the calendar of the Gentile king over God's people. This brings us to the third date. Remember I said you need to keep the date, the historians, which is important for the book of Zechariah. This is 520 B.C., the time that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah to write the book. This brings us to 67 years after the exile. So by this time of that Zechariah wrote the book, the people were so close to the fulfillment of that promise of Jeremiah. It's three years, God, are you going to deliver your promises? And of course, some of us, because of time this morning, it's important to cheat a little bit. It's like, you know, when you go to the end of the book, a little bit, you go to jump to the end, especially when you read the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It seems so far to get to the end and then you kind of cheat. So let's cheat a little bit. The Lord's promises were fulfilled in 515 B.C. when the temple was completely rebuilt. So there is that God actually did fulfill his promises. So the book of Zechariah was was written for people who live between the now and not yet times where God's promises were about to be fulfilled. Yet they were looking to the time where God, they will experience the full manifestation of God's promises. And yet this is why the theologians call it now, but not yet. And that is relevant for us today, isn't it? Because for us, we read Jeremiah 32, 36 to 41, Ezekiel 36, verse 22 to 28, and Ezekiel 37, 24 to 28. As we read these scriptures, we are looking forward to that time of the new covenant God is going to make with his people. The covenant that says, I will give them undivided hearts, where I'll put my new spirit in them and remove their hearts of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 11, verse 19. I mean, that's a wonderful promise. And then, of course, for us in the New Testament, we are the beneficiaries of it. Jesus came to this dead heart, which was Vuyani, quite boastful and arrogant, thought he knew it everything. And Jesus says, you don't know anything. I'm going to reveal myself to you, and you are going to receive me as your Lord and Savior. And then I experienced that time, 
and I became a child of God. But yet, as Rihanna, I'm like, yes, I've received the first part of the promise, Lord, but I'm still struggling. You know, it wouldn't be nice. You know, sometimes I look at my wife on those days where we have our misunderstanding. Pastor Simon is perfect. They don't have this thing. Uh, when you have the fight, where you say, oh man, wouldn't the new heaven, the new earth be nice right now? Where you understand each other perfectly. No fights in marriages, no misunderstanding. Of course, of God, people who are looking forward to that. When you have kids, where your kids don't misbehave. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? You know, when they're just a, as a wonderful darlings. As cause as Christians are looking forward to that promises of Revelation 21, verse 4 to 5, where God promises us he will wipe every tear from our eyes, when there will be no more death or mourning or cry of pain. We are looking forward to the time when everything will be made anew. Isn't that COVID that have brought that longing even more closely today? I've lost so many family relatives. I have so many people who suffered in hospital, where to see them going through the pain, I just wish the Lord Jesus will return. So the book of Zechariah, in terms of history, is written just for us, people like us today, who are living in between these two times, where the Lord's promises are beginning to be fulfilled, but they are not fully realized. And the book of Zechariah is going to help us in terms of how to live in that period. So a quick recap. We studied the book of Zechariah because it's a book about Jesus. We studied the book of Zechariah because it's relevant for us today. And then the third reason, of course, is we studied the book of Zechariah because it's the word of God. That on its own should even be enough, right? Did you notice verse 1? In the eighth month of the second year, of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. This is God's word. And therefore, that on its own should make us want to study the letter. You know, if you see people who are in love, when they discover that letter, that, you know, when you guys were still in high school, interested in each other, and then they find it, the ladies in particular, they just glow. I remember this letter you wrote. For me, before the kids were even an idea. And, and then they just, that on its own, they just sit there and read it. And you see the smile on their face. That should actually, the fact that this is God's word for us should make us have that excitement. I want to hear God speak to me. It's his word. That on its own should be the reason. But yet I want us this morning to consider what is this word that God wanted for his people. What is this message that Zechariah had to deliver? Now, this morning we're only going to focus at the first uh, six verses, which is from verse 6 to 8. We can sum up what God wanted the people of Zechariah to know in one word, and that is repentance. The word repent, turn, or return, had the same Hebrew root word. And it appears more than six times in the first four verses from verse 2 and verse 4. It is used twice in verse 3. Therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, return 
to me. You see that? Declares the Lord Almighty. And I will return to you. Says the Lord Almighty. Again in verse 4, we read the word, through the words of the former prophets, turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. And then it appears again at the end of verse 6, and where the people repented. You know, when I was a kid growing up in the Eastern Cape, our parents used to work in the mines or in the fields of Cape Town, the fathers. We had our mothers, and at times we would be, as young boys, not listen much. Because you can always outrun your mother, right? And then, especially when your dad is not around, you know your mother, when you're hungry, you just go, oh, I'm hungry. They, they, they tend to melt quickly and not dish out punishment. But our parents used to write letters to give a state of affairs of how we were doing as these young boys while our parents were away. And then December was an exciting time for all of us. This is a time where we have meet every day because the parents have come from, there were no internet banking those days. So the parents will come, your fathers, with money, and this is the only time you're allowed to even slaughter a sheep or a cow, right? Because the men of the house is here. So December was a time of celebration, but it was also a time of reckoning. That when your father comes back home, there needs to be a detailed account of how you were doing before they arrived. And then you knew this was either going to be meted out with punishment or a heavenly reward. And some of us, especially me, it tended to be the first one, right? Some wonderful punishment before the nice clothes. Now, if God is going to come back to his people, there is something that we need to get right as his people. You see, God is holy. He cannot stand sin. And there's one thing that if God is going to come to us and have this wonderful fellowship that we need to do, and that is to repent of sin, turning away from our sins. Because God is holy. He must punish sin. Look at verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. God doesn't tolerate sin. God is not like the God I created in my mind. He'll understand, you know. He knows, man, sin is sin. Where we take it casually, God doesn't take sin casually. This is why the exile happened in the first place. Because God's people were flirting with sin. But what does the Bible tell us? Flee. Don't flirt with it. Don't think you can come close to it and be friends with sin without sin destroying you. The Bible says flee. And then, of course, we saw that the people of Jeremiah were stubborn like South Africans. Right? We don't do the repentance easily. And God had to send them to exile. God has to punish sin. He cannot live with sinful people. Nor can he tolerate sin. The way he dealt with the people in the past was a warning for the current generation. That takes sin seriously. The exile happened because your forefathers did not listen. And God is also going to deal with your own sin. God in his mercy and love warns them, and he wants them to return. I mean, isn't that wonderful? I do this thing as a father sometimes. And my daughters even know the voice. You know, there's a couple of peaches as a parent. Where you call them by name, Cindy Swa? No, darling. 
Nothing happens. Cindy Swasindo. Immediate return. Turn back. Because they know the consequences, right? And it's love for them. It's not like I'm this dictator at home who just can't wait to punish them. But I love them. I want them to grow up to be women who love the Lord and who serve the Lord. And part of that is we don't tolerate sin in this household. Because that is not in line with God's character. And that's what God warned, isn't it, this current generation. Look at your forefathers, what they failed to do. I was angry with them. Therefore, turn back from your sin. Don't do what they did. Look at verse 3 to 6. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Almighty says, return to me, declares the Lord, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. The word return or repent is normally, as we normally call it, means make a 180 degree turn. Don't say today is the last day. I'm just going to do it for the last time. Leave it. Make a 180 degree turn and go towards God and away from the sin that you are struggling with. You see, the older generation, they had one particular sin that we are told about that was holding them as captives. In Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 1 to 4, we are told that the Lord... It's called the older generation to turn away from their idols, but they do not listen to God. Now, of course, when you think of an idol, we tend to think of going to India where you will see the statue of people bowing down. But actually, an idol is much more secular than that. An idol is a thing that you wake up in the morning thinking about and going to bed thinking about. That is your God. The thing that you most find comfort in and pursue it with all your energy, that is your God. You see, in the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verse 4, we are told the sin of the people of Ezekiah. And it's interesting for me because it sounds very much like our sin. And it's very surprising for many of us. You know what was their sin? It was comfort. They were preoccupied with comfort instead of the things of the Lord. They neglected to invest their time on God's things. They were building their own panel houses without focusing on the temple. Now, of course, we are not called as Christians to build Buildings called St. Barnabas. But we are called to vest our energy and strength on building God's kingdom. But when last have you really said, I'm using my energy and strength to focus on things of God instead of building your own kingdom? It's easy, isn't it? All that you are preoccupied as, as a young married couple is your comfort. That holiday to Italy, that wonderful house in a nice suburb, your schools, your children receiving the best school in the most secured location. And it's not always about whether it's God pleased with that or not. It's about our comfort. That was the idol for people of Zechariah. What is your idol? 
What is it that makes your life tick? Is it God? Or is it your own personal comfort? Your own wonderful house with your nice fireplace and your rocking chair? Or are you really spending your time and energy and saying, am I investing in the things of the Lord? Am I using my time to pray for my family to get to know the Lord? Am I using my time to evangelize to those that are lost around me? Because that's how we build God's kingdom. And then, of course, God in his grace says to them, don't be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophet proclaimed, this is what the Lord says. Turn from your evil way and your evil practices, but they will not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servant, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? But then we have this wonderful picture. Zadeglis, Zechariah's generation repented. You see there? Then they repented and said, The Lord has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as it determined to do so. My prayer for us this morning is that that will be our hearts, where we truly repent of the sins that we easily commit. Whereas we meet again as God's people, as a church, we say we want to put God at the center and the focus of our lives. COVID has told us, I mean, I used to trust discovery, right? My medical aid, oh man, COVID told me, hey, discovery, so many clothes not to pay, they are not there when I really need them. Number two, that they are not God. But God, look at what he said, but did not my words and my decrees which I commanded myself and the prophets overtake your ancestors? There's one thing we can be sure of that I hope you've seen this morning is that the word of the Lord will always come to pass. 70 years, God, are you going to fulfill it? Well, he fulfilled it. And therefore, this morning, we should take the word of the Lord, spoken through the prophet Zechariah to us, seriously, and turn back to him. And he promises that he will come to us as well. Now, I don't know what sin that you think about. I don't know what you do on your phone in your spare time. I don't know where your energies and efforts are directed to. But if they are not directed to the Lord, can you please use this morning come back to him. Return to him and make a 180 degree turn. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks that your word is living and active and is sharper than any double-edged sword. And Lord, we give you thanks that your word will not return to you null and void. Lord, I pray that you'll help us this morning to be people who repent of the sin that easily entangles us. Lord, please grant us hearts that, Lord, are ready to turn to you. Forgive us, Lord, for our stubbornness. Forgive us, Lord, for pursuing the things of this world and not pursuing you with all our hearts, minds, and soul. 
God, you help us this morning to repent and turn to you. We ask all of this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.